Avi on Money, 12 to 1 p.m., only on 101.9 High FM. Welcome to 101.9 High FM. It's 8 minutes past 12, nearly 9 minutes past 12. Thank you so much for joining us. And today we are going to be discussing a topic that I think is becoming more and more relevant, and that is tax revenue or taxation for people who earn the income outside South Africa. So in other words, you are a South African, you're a South African citizen, but you work outside the country and you now have to pay tax. Things have changed, things have moved for many, many years. It was static, there was a formula, it was applied, and it had to do about where you lived and how much property you owned and all that sort of stuff. That's all changed. And in studio with me is TNS Ellers, who is a director at Citadel Fiduciary. TNS, welcome to High FM. Thank you, Avi. Nice right. to be here. Thank you. Thanks for coming through. And also, thanks for coming through at such short notice. I know we only got this uh, finalized yesterday. Tens, put it through, put me through the paces. We were talking about expat tax, but let's maybe go a little bit back. Who is an expat? What is expat tax? How does this African work out the country? How does that whole picture come together? I think expat tax is a is a is a, is a, uh, a name that we we gave a specific type of tax or the lack of it. So let's take a couple of steps back and let's go back about twenty years uh, where we had residents or where we had source based tax. So at the time you were only taxed on income that you earned in South Africa from South African source. Around 2001, we changed to a residency-based tax, and all of a sudden, you became you had to start paying tax on your worldwide income. Now, at the time, there, were, there was already a lot of people working outside of South Africa earning their money there, and it would have been quite unfair to now all of a sudden start taxing them. So we had certain rules in the Income Tax Act, as you said, stating that um, if you work outside of the country – and you're outside of the country for more than 183 days, of which 60 is consecutive, you're not going to pay tax on that income. Now, please note, it doesn't mean you're not going to pay tax. It only means on that portion of your income, because you're still a South African tax resident, and we'll, and that's probably key concept that we have to discuss. You're still a South African tax resident, so you pay on your rental income that you receive in South Africa, perhaps your investment income that you receive internationally, but the portion of your income that you earned by way of your your uh, being an employee offshore was not taxed. So long as you fit it within that formula. Correct. Now, that is now changing. From the 1st of March next year, that's 2020, um, only the first 1 million rand will be exempt if it fits within that formula. The rest of that will be taxed in your name as a South African tax resident. At your marginal rate? Yes. So the conversion will then be done, even if you don't bring the money into the country? Yeah. No, you don't have to. It's it's still um, legitimately earned funds, which since 97 you can leave offshore. You've, um, you've, you've, uh, you've, you've supplied the services offshore. That's also key to enable you to leave it offshore from. That's now from a financial surveillance or, or exchange control perspective. You can still leave it offshore and so, but it accrued to you and you need to declare it in South Africa. How does double taxation come into it? Now, this is the whole concept where we uh, need to start looking at things like the double tax agreements. Now, and if I can take a step and just discuss the whole concept of residency. The reason why this is, this is so important for this discussion is this tax that we're referring to now, this expat tax that we're referring to now, cannot apply to you if you're not a South African tax resident. 
Remember, this is under South African tax law. So if for whatever reason you have broken your tax residency, so you moved out of South Africa to work in the UK uh, or wherever, and you've broken your tax residency, then this expat tax cannot apply to you. It's not trying to enforce a tax on a non-tax resident. And I think that, that that's where a lot of people may have it wrong, where they think, well, this will just apply to me. Uh, but in actual fact, you've given up tax residency. So if you've gone off SARS's radar, this is not looking to bring you back onto it? Not at all. Okay. So that's exactly part of the problem is where people thought, oh, look, um, this is this is exempt income. Um, in the past, I don't have to declare anything. You still need to lodge. If you're a South African tax resident, you still need to lodge your returns. It doesn't mean if you immigrated automatically that you're not a tax resident. On the other hand, it also, if you've moved to the UK 20 years ago and you've stayed there or to wherever in the world and you never plan to return, you have actually broken tax residency. Tax residency is closely linked to your intention. Now, the intention as may become clear from your surrounding circumstances, where your home is and where your home is, where your children are, your um, uh, your memberships and, and so on. So they'll assess the facts of the matter. As in the old, uh, the old Cohen case, um, that mentioned the place where you return to from your wandering. Correct. That's the one that, that we all know about. But also what people lose sight of is something like, for instance, uh, the double tax agreement that South Africa may have with the jurisdiction where you move to. So the SMS line's going ballistic. And that's literally what people are asking is let's take a simple scenario. And I think this is just to summarize what people are saying. You work in the UK, you're a South African, um, you know, you're South African, but you're working in the UK, and you're paying tax on that money that you're earning in the UK. Do we pay tax again now in South Africa? No. Now, that's there, there are two reasons for it. You've got your tax, double tax agreement with the UK that will state that the source-based income may be taxed by that contracting com- uh, country, while we won't be taxing it in South Africa. Even if you were working in a non in, in a country that didn't have a double tax agreement with us, they would and you pay tax in that country, you would still be able to claim those credits against the income that you've earned. So you have to declare the income, but you can claim the credits. So there are ways um, not around it, but where you won't be t- taxed, uh, there won't be double tax. Someone's asking, is there a marginal tax discrepancy? I think so. What they're asking, let's say for the income that you're earning in the UK, you're paying 50%, but you'd pay, for example, 35% here in South Africa. Would you have to pay that 5% difference? If you've got, if they've got the right to, to tax it according to that double tax agreement, yes. you're not going to have that situation where you have to pay it. Right. But be careful because in certain other types of tax, we're talking income tax, like for instance, things like estate duty, where in uh, the UK you have a rate of 40% on US citus assets and South Africa 20%. Now, there, um, they going to take their, their 20%, but in South Africa, you tax that 40%, uh, or sorry, and then 20%. Um, you've already paid 40% there, uh, so you can't now go and claim the rest that you've already paid there. So one must be careful and have a close look at the double tax agreement, what it provides, but you're not necessarily going to pay the extra. Also provision on uh, certain things like uh, dividends tax, where um, it's a high tax jurisdiction, which is more than, for instance, 75% of our tax rate. We're not going to pay that in. Right. Um, as I said, on, on things like estate duty, where in South Africa, now if you look at 
the U.S. where um, you won't be entitled to a spousal deduction where you are in South Africa doesn't mean you're not going to pay tax there. So if if I can summarize it, really what you're saying is that if you've paid tax, if you've been fully taxed in that other jurisdiction according to their laws, then you're, you're deemed to have been taxed, even though South Africa might have taxed you more. But if you pay tax at a higher rate than South Africa would have taxed you, you are still deemed to have paid the correct amount of tax, and we're certainly not going to give you a refund. You're not going to get a credit in South Africa for the balance then. And I just wish this was TV, because the look on your face was like, you can forget it. It's not <laughs> going to happen. <laughs> okay, Tina's, it, it, makes, it makes a huge amount of sense. Um, so let's, let's just go back and focus on that one million rand. So are we saying that, for example, let's say you worked in a tax haven where you weren't really paying tax on your yes. income. And it was all nice and dandy because your gross income was your net income and you might have paid more for a bottle of Coke or for catch a bus mm. or whatever it was. So it was indirect tax, but the direct tax on your income didn't exist and everything was great. Maybe the United Arab Emirates countries like that. Good example. So what you really did is you came back to South Africa with a smug look on your face like, sorry, chaps, you know, I've paid tax, even though I didn't pay it, because that was the regime I was working at. Now we're saying the first million you can wag in our faces. Thereafter, we're going to tax you. That's correct. Okay. That's correct. Um, and again, it's, it's um, the residency is key, but also these double tax agreements. So, with uh, like we have with the, you use the word, you use the example of, for instance, Dubai. Yes. Um, where you have to be considered to be a tax resident there, and I've recently heard, and that uh, that they issue a residency certificate, and you'll probably need that before you'll be regarded to be a resident of non a non South African resident for Dubai. So one needs to be very careful okay. of the requirements in that uh, specific jurisdiction. Uh, that you need. Another example is, uh, for instance, Israel. When you ole in Israel, I don't know if my pronunciation is ole, right. Ole, yes. Ole. Okay, close enough. I thought. Well done. Uh, then you would be regarded in terms of that double tax agreement as a resident of Israel. Correct. Non-South African resident. This is not going to apply necessarily to you. Okay. So that's why I always come back to residency and double tax agreements for everything. Um, your question on the million rand, which is correct. Um, the one million rand, yes, you're free. So if you're a student working there, you're probably not going to earn a million rand. Anything above that, you will you will be taxed in South Africa. I don't know. Waiting tables in London, earning tips in pounds, <laughs> a million rand. It's not a lot of money. Rand exchange rate, where it is. Tienas, <laughs> um, I'm enthralled simply because this is a practical, realistic disca- discussion. Um, two things you said really got me excited. The one was you were quoting, I almost could see myself learning those, those textbook requirements for the exam, especially when you know, I did advice and then again in CFP to, mm. just to know that. And that has gone out the window now. You know, like we used to learn Haas. We used to like learn that formula that all of a sudden you woke up and that formula was gone. So that brings me to the second point that you mentioned, which was uh, indirect, is that these things if you're not okay with them and you don't deal with them on a daily basis, you really take your life into your own hands if you go and work it out yourself. Pay the consultancy fee, get hold of the expert and sleep at night. Speak to Citadel, speak to yourself, get the right advice so that you can make an informed decision. Craig, sorry, I know I'm 30 seconds late. Let's run to the shops. We'll be back in a moment. 
Avi on Money, 12 to 1 p.m., only on 101.9 Chai FM. Welcome back to 101.9 Chai FM. It is 20 minutes, 21 minutes past the hour of 12. And we are t- talking to TNS Ellis, who is a director at Citadel Fiduciary. So again, if you've got any general fiduciary questions that you want to bounce off him, I'm sure we can put him on the spot yet once again. But we're talking most, um, more specifically today about expat tax. And for those of you who just tuned in, if you know somebody or you yourself are working out of South Africa and you're working on the existing regulations of being out for so many days and where you reside and where you come home from your wanderings and all that, just pull over on the side of the road or just, you know, close your office door and listen because these things are important because they are changing from the 1st of March. 1st of March 2020. 2020 next year, which is going to become come very, very quickly. And again, um, Tennis, what we're discussing off air is the importance of getting the right advice. And to use a good old South African cliche in this scenario, goedkoop is dierkoop. If you cut corners, you go to the wrong people, or you try to do it with a rabbi or uncle or Dr. Google, you're going to come a cropper. Rather pay the right fee to the right people, get the right advice, and never look over your shoulder. Do you guys take this advice to the nth degree? From an advice side, and this is the, it's very important, and this is a general comment that I make with regards to any international advice. We take the advice and we can advise on the South African side, what the South African law says about it. And this is a general comment um, on any international advice. And we can advise you about the double tax agreements, and we are also the first one to bring in other experts as well. This is a very, very specialized field, and there are other experts that specialize in specific things, like, for instance, the tax compliance. At what stage and what do you need to report? Let me give you an example. Let me give you of, of a difficult situation. Again, my example of the person that moved to the UK 20 years ago, 10 years yes. ago. He doesn't want to come back at all. So in actual fact, he's broken tax residency. What passport does he hold? That doesn't matter for tax purposes. Okay. Now, that's an important point. Remember, there is a difference between, before I get back to um, that example, there is a difference between your exchange control, your nationalist, your exchange control, financial surveillance, and tax residency. So you may very well hold a British passport and be a South African tax resident, and not only based on the physical presence test, but you living here all your life, perhaps you've got a passport uh, from, uh, you know, because your grandfather was uh, from the UK or so. But you've moved back to, or moved to the UK for the first lucky. time. Yeah. <laughs> moved to the UK for the first time. You're never planning to come back. You have actually, and consider now the DTAs and so, but you've actually broken tax residency, but you've never thought of that. The problem is what happens on breaking tax residence in South Africa is, amongst others, you've got a capital gains event on all on your worldwide assets, except certain things like your South African fixed property. So now take the scenario, 10 years ago, you've broken residence by getting on a plane and leaving. Um, you've, you've broken residence, but you've done nothing about that with regards to, and you've had quite an asset base at the time, perhaps. Um, now you need to come back and explain this to SARS because you, all of a sudden you know you're in default here with, with SARS. Bring that and bring another aspect into the conversation, the exchange of information between governments. Um, you've heard uh, Tito speaking about that in uh, the budget speech, about the exchange of information, how that's going to be improved and so on in future. So it's going to be very difficult to hide. 
But now you want to fix your affairs. Now, at that stage, you don't want any, just some, some, some accountant over here. You want an expert in these kind of things to deal with it. So if necessary, that's what I was saying, we'll bring a person like that into it as well. Um, yeah. One thing we've seen from our new Minister of Finance, um, well, maybe just take a step back. I was quite encouraged when Mr. Tito Mwenu became Minister of Finance because he's a man of pedigree. He's proven himself. He's well-respected. He is a man of the people. I often used to like when he would call mm. on radio and complain about filth in Pretoria. And he was all of a sudden felt the man was real. Um, and he then went, left government, and was brought back quite urgently. But there's a sense of realism in, in the whole story. Is this an area that you think the government has said we've sort of turned a blind eye to and Mr. Mbwene is now turning around saying, hold on, guys, this is a lucrative line that we've never really explored. It's time to look at this more carefully. I think it's a general focus. I wouldn't say it's from Mr. Mbwene. This predates him. Uh, when we started seeing this, I think it was around uh, 2017. Um, but this is from Treasury looking and considering uh, any other places where we've got tax bleeding out. Right. Now, another good example is the work that the Davis Tax Committee has been doing or has done on various kinds of taxes, from wealth taxes, state duty, all those kind of kind of things that they've addressed. So it was a general focus on closing whatever loopholes they were, uh, that may have been left. As I mentioned earlier, um, this specific expat tax comes from the days when we had source-based tax. And it was just something that was left open. They never address, really addressed it. Um, and now they've done that. So it's part of a program of closing tax loopholes. Tina, something that you mentioned to me, I think, before, I know, before F, of, of air, which was, which was quite poignant, is that we were discussing how one thing's for certain in the financial services industry and in, in financial markets is a change, excuse me, is guaranteed as a constant. It's always going to be there. But you made a very encouraging statement that when it initially hits us, the certain changes, we look at it as, as a calamity. But once you drill down and sort of understand and get to learn how to deal with this new living organism that one has to deal with, all of a sudden it's not that bad. How does this expat tax strike you with this one million rand abatement, so to speak? Important. One, when we get the news the first time that this has changed, and it may have been as far back as capital gains tax, transfer duty, all those kind of things. Section 7C, more recently on the taxation of trusts and loan accounts and so on. It's, we all become quite anxious. What are we going to do now? Will we still be able to, to almost make a living because this is now extra tax on us? And the same apply here. Yes, it is going to hurt for people who's earning a lot of money offshore. But my advice is always to run the numbers. Is it really going to be that bad? We're dealing with a tax here that's essentially, and please don't, uh, I may be in trouble for saying that, essentially fair. Um, it is, you are a South African tax resident and you're earning money, your family is here, and I know we can talk about tax revolt and what we get back for our taxes and so on. That's a different conversation. But I think that's another discussion. Yes. What you're saying is that our tax regime is fair. Yes. We're not onerously taxed. No. Um, we taxed at international rates, sometimes better. Um, it's in fact far better than some socialist countries. We are definitely taxed at, um, at, at, and in certain cases, yes, we are here heavily taxed. Don't make, a, don't make a mistake there. 
on different levels we are heavily taxed, but it could have been worse. Um, if I take something like estate duty, the 40% that you pay up to 40% in the US, the 40% that you pay in the UK, um, those, those kind of things. So, so, um, we are heavily taxed. Don't, do not make a mistake there, but it's important with a new tax to answer your, your, your question is to run the numbers and see how bad it's going to be. Um, is it really going to be that bad with your um, one million rand e- e- exemption that you, that you've got there, or not? And the real, real let's say it is bad. Let's say you turn around and say this is but you know yes. I'm going to at yeah. least you know what you're dealing with, and one can budget accordingly. And you can plan accordingly because now there are certain other things that that opens the door. And uh, these con- and, and and I'm referring back to a consultation that we had uh, about two years ago where we. Went through all the scenarios with this client where it was discussed whether it wouldn't make more sense to immigrate. Now, immigrate, yeah, I'm not talking about the, you would, and there's a big mistake being made out there in a lot of commentary where they say financially immigration, you break tax residence. Doesn't work that way. In this case, we were, we were considering that he truly breaks tax residence with South Africa and move to a different jurisdiction. Wouldn't that be better? But at least we knew what he was in for and we could plan accordingly. And that's really what it's about, man. Something you mentioned before was capital gains. I remember I was actually doing my articles and capital gains came in and the concept was so foreign. It was such a weird concept that you sell an asset besides your private residence and boats less than 15 meters or whatever the things were. And now you've got to pay a capital gain, but you get the X amount you don't pay and then you pay after that. And then there's a, there's actually that formula to work out and, uh, but the whole concept was you own something, you sell it, and you make a profit, you must now pay tax. Many, many, many years later, when I now consult with clients and capital gains come up, I say, oh, we've got a capital gains problem. That's nice because what it means is that we've made profits. There wouldn't be a capital gains issue if we weren't making profits. But it's amazing how the whole mindset has shifted like I don't want to pay. You're going to pay the tax, and the bigger the tax you pay, that means the better you've done. Yes. And that's just that's just the nature of the beast, and it's not going to change. And it's a, I think it's a, it's a critical approach to, to, to tax as well. Um, you don't want to pay more than necessary, but it means that you made money. Um, I've got one client who, who actually uh, always, when we, we talk about these things and, and assess the different transactions that we're doing and the tax implications thereof, it always say, well, uh, as, 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 as you would put it, uh, tax is a wealthy man's problem. So you've made the money. <laughs> I know it's difficult to, to, to swallow necessarily. No, but I find it, you know, when, when we talk about issues, cell phone reception or this, that, other, we call them, oh, we've got first world problems. Yes. Other people are worrying about how they're going to prevent polio or how they're going to get their children educated. And we worry that we had an intermittent signal somewhere on the highway. So I suppose it is taking all these different things into consideration. But Dennis, let's, let's jump to maybe the end of the, the discussion when it comes to, to the, this residence-based tax. The, the, and expects tax. The long and the short of it is no matter where you earn income, one has to pay tax. If you haven't paid the fuller tax, um, where you're earning with a double tax treaty or a tax treaty with that country, you are going to pay tax here in South Africa with an exemption of your first million rand, and thereafter you'll pay to your South African marginal tax rate. If a person's not here, but for example, they've got a medical aid that's running, just because they want to make sure they've got a medical aid here. They've got a satellite office that really has one desk and a chair in it, but that's where they would sit and work when they're here. Um, 
Are they able to deduct, to deduct those expenses in South Africa when they're filing their taxes? If it's an expense, if it's in the production of income, and again, this is the now where it gets, uh, where it gets quite, quite complicated, yeah. Um, it's a, and it depends on the, the nature of his income. Uh, remember, this is employee's tax. This, Correct. This, this applies to employee's tax. And to what extent can he deduct expenses when you're an employee? And we all know that's very limited. So medical aid, perhaps you, you need to, 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 uh, your, uh, how small it may be. Right. Um, you would have your medical aid. You would have your more normal deductions on the South African side. Your rebates and stuff like yeah. that will all apply. Okay. So the long and the short of it is make sure you know what you're doing. Get your, get the right advice and take it from there. Are there any other major tax changes that we saw coming out of the last budget that you guys are aware of that we can maybe just, you know, you know, mull over for the next couple of minutes? Not so much from this budget, and I, I emphasize not so much from this budget. Yes, and it wasn't expected either um, that they make, would make big changes um, in this budget or so, uh, but it was also to, to some extent quite surprising. Why do I say that? So it was expected that they won't make big changes. But we've talked a lot about the Davis Tax Committee and their assessment of different types of tax. Now, what came out of that in the last four years? First of all, and I think we've moved beyond it, but we can obviously address it, a major tax change was the taxation of interest-free loans, the way that's taxed to trust. So in other words, what did that do? It changed our thinking on how we structure trusts completely. Another matter which, and so that's, that's been done. It was done, uh, not in line with what Davis recommended, actually completely contra. Um, that's my opinion, or because of, although they, they, they may be arguments against it, it is a type of transfer pricing that they made applicable to okay. that. But having said that, and we can go into details, there are other things that still outstanding from the Davis tax report. And why do I think it's important to still consider them two or three years down the line? line three years down the line. Davis issued a report on wealth taxes last year. And it's quite a long report, about 90 pages or so. But in the summary, and it's quite a good summary if you want to read it, the most important thing that came out of that is to say we're not ready for a wealth tax yet. yet. And the reason for that is we do not understand, and this is from a government perspective, exactly what uh, people's, uh, people uh, what they own and what the nature of the wealth is. And they need more information. They made recommendations on that which we'll probably most possibly see where the government will request further information with your returns. But what's important, as a comment they made there, is to say, while we bring collecting this information, government should consider implementing the recommendations that the Davis Tax Committee already made on wealth okay. taxes, estate duty, donations tax. So on estate duty, in short, last year they introduced a 25% estate duty and Donations tax on um, amount uh, estates above uh, taxable uh, estates above 30 million rand. So that's one recommendation. But a major recommendation that will affect all of us that are doing planning and estate planning is the spousal deduction. As you know, I mean, if anything that you bequeath your spouse is tax free at the moment. Correct. That's always been like that, and we've planned accordingly. Um, the estates and everything that we've done over. Well, I've been in. Yeah, for, for, for quite a while. Um, now they want to take that away. So that takes us to square one with our estate planning. Same with donation stacks. So I think that's still on the radar. Exactly when? I don't know. Those are wealth taxes, and we may very, very well see that still coming in sometime in the future. 
Um, Dennis, we've got literally four or five minutes left before we wrap up. Let's maybe talk a little bit about a citadel of fiduciary. I mean, the, the, the actual services that you provide, tax consulting is obviously one of them, but who is your primary market? What type of work do you guys do? Citadel fiduciary tax consulting as an aspect of wealth management. Let's put it like that. Okay. So I won't go out and write a tax opinion for somebody. It is for usually for a Citadel client as an aspect of the planning that we do. Um, Citadel fiduciary is a company owned by um, Citadel Wealth Management. And as you know, we're part of the Peregrine Group, Correct. which is a listed company. Um, Citadel Fiduciary offers the, the full range of fiduciary services. So uh, we, we, we do trust administration. We, we set up trusts. We do trust administration. We act as professional trustees on those trusts. When you say trust administration, that's a, the, the bugbear of most people who are involved with trust is the trust is set up, and now they're left with this baby, and they're not quite sure what to do with it. Yes. Would you guys administer it, do the taxes, file the returns, ex- hold the minutes for the meetings, etc., etc.? Everything except the accounting, file that uh, returns and so on. But there we interact with the nes- with their accountants or accountants that we employ for it. Great. But we'll make sure the record keeping. We will do the advice on certain the structure, tax implications, those kind of things. Work closely with the accountants and make sure that we can be seen as acting as a professional trustee, which is key to any trust structure. That applies to South African trusts. Uh, we also do a lot because we've always invested quite heavily offshore. We do a lot of offshore structuring as well, offshore trusts. We own in the Peregrine Group, we own trust companies in Guernsey or a trust company there. So we do a lot of offshore trust structuring as well. So it's not only South Africa, it's also um, we don't stop at the border in South Africa. We continue internationally with our clients as well. For those high net worth, net worth people who have international assets, you're one port of call that they can come to where everything gets done. Correct. The wills, the estate administration as well. Um, and all of that, we work very closely with our, uh, our colleagues at Wealth Management, same office, and so on. Okay, so it's really it's it's, it's a full it's a full turnkey fiduciary services. And lastly, just before we wrap up, how do we get hold of you? Our details are quite available on our website. Um, that would be myself under fiduciary. Okay. And uh, yeah, we, we can give out my, my cell phone number as well as my office numbers. Well, let's just well. rather just give out the office number and an email address. My email address is tnse, right. that is T-H-E-U-N-I-S-E, at citadel.co.za. Right. And the office number? The office number, and you can always reach me on my Pretoria number. It's through the computer, so it doesn't matter <laughs> where in the world I sit. 012-470-2726. That was a trick question because that no one remembers <laughs> office numbers anymore. You had me for a moment there. <laughs> and if I get it wrong, I do apologize, but my email address works, and then I'll reply with my signature, and you'll and have my full details. And there's this thing called Google. Just put in Citadel, and it'll show you where it is. Google, Citadel, my name, under Citadel. It'll show you exactly where to get but all But don't this. use Google for anything else that we've just spoken about. Rather come and st- – you only use it to get to the office. Dr. Google is not only a problem for medical professionals. For us, it's even worse. Fantastic. Tinas, thank you for coming in. I appreciate it. Everybody, thank you for listening. Craig, thanks for pushing the buttons. We'll speak to you next week.